Please Look Up is recorded in the Sitek Planetarium on Wajak Noongar land. Good evening everybody and welcome back to another episode of Please Look Up, the monthly podcast produced by Sitek where we take you through a tour of the night sky as seen from Perth. In this episode we'll be covering all the exciting space news happening during May. We're here in the SciTech Planetarium on Noongar Buja, and I'm joined by Damon, a professional planetarium presenter here at SciTech. Damon, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you very much, Leon. I'm always excited to come here and to talk about Mars, and in this case, Starship, which is ultimately destined to go to Mars. I'm looking forward to the Starship conversation that I've got on my notes here. We'll start with the greatest thing you can do at nighttime when you're outside, which is, of course, looking up at the sky. And, uh, well, we'll start nice and simple. What planets can I expect to see? If I'm outside this month, what can I see? Well, as I'm uh, very happy to tell people at the moment in the planetarium, your main two planets that you will see are Venus and Mars, and they're pretty much off to the northwest. After sundown, once it gets dark enough, you should be able to see both quite all right. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, Mars is actually going to be disappearing quite soon, which for me is very, very sad because we all know that beyond Earth, Mars, best uh, planet. Yep. You're a big fan of Mars. Mars is disappearing soon. What do you mean? It just, it will be disappearing below the horizon very soon. We won't be able to see it in our wonderful night sky anymore. Oh, okay. Just because of the movement of the planet. The movement of the planets. The planets go around the sun. The further away from the sun you get, the longer it actually takes a planet to go around. And so that, that means the planets are all at constantly different distances from each other. There are times of year where we can see some planets and not others. And unfortunately for us, Mars is on its way out of our sky. Right. So I have to go out after sunset to catch Mars. Exactly right. Very soon. In Venus, you've got a little bit more time, probably about two months, um, but nobody cares about Venus. so <laughs> I think Venus is nice. No, 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 it's all right. I'm sorry, Venus, if you're listening, you're a great planet. Don't, don't let that keep you up at night. Yeah. So of these two, uh, Mars is obviously known for its red colour. Is Venus particularly noticeable? Uh, Venus is known for being quite bright. Oh, okay. Yes, the uh, wonderful thing about Venus is if you look at it, you can't actually see the surface. It's covered in a very thick atmosphere, but it's very good at reflecting light to us. So, And it's also often quite close, depending on time of year and where the planets are. I'm pretty sure I have seen this in the, the sky, even like just as the sun has... It's still like bright. It's not completely pitch black, but the sun's gone. Yes. That bright thing I can see in the west. Is that Venus? Yes, at the moment it is, but you also need to be aware that sometimes if you look up in the sky and you see a really bright object, it's not Venus and it's not necessarily even a planet. It is a common mistake that people make. But yes, at the moment, look in the right direction and you will see Venus. So you mentioned Venus and Mars are visible in the west. What about the other the, the other planets? Are they just not visible this time of year? Like where's Jupiter? Where's Mercury? Uh, Jupiter and Mercury, they will be coming up in the east around 5.30 in the morning. So if you look off in that direction, you will hopefully start to see them if you're up for getting up early. Oh, okay. So if you're keen on early evenings, then Venus and Mars. And if you're keen on early mornings, it's Jupiter and Mercury. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, if you are keen on early mornings, I tip my hat to you. Yes. Okay, so th th that's the planets we can see this month. What about any, any interesting stars, any interesting constellations? Look, uh, everyone's favourite constellation, and by favourite I mean most well-known generally, it's not necessarily your favourite, and that is Orion, the hunter from Greek mythology. And, well, you see, Orion, bit of a mythical figure, and quite a long time ago he is said to have made just a little bit of a mistake. You see, the thing is, Orion, known for being a great hunter, but also apparently very arrogant. And he once made a boast that he would hunt and kill all the animals on the planet. Well, this actually angered the goddess Gaia. Not very impressed by Orion's boastfulness, and she actually decided, all right, 
In that case, I am going to send a massive scorpion to hunt and to kill Orion. And so now we have Scorpius coming up above the horizon this time of year. So Orion, he's making his dash away to try to get away from the scorpion coming after him. Right. See, I've been watching Orion move lower and lower in the west for like the past couple of months, just after sunset. Yep. So where does that mean the scorpion is then? That means the scorpion is going to be coming up in the east. Oh, on the opposite side of the sky. Yes, exactly right. So Orion just getting out of dodge just at the right time. <laughs> okay. Oh, and so I see as Orion sets on one side, the scorpion rises in the other. Yes, he's, he's trembling in his boots, the scorpion's starting to appear, and there he goes. Right, and how do I identify the scorpion? What, what is, what, is there a nice easy way of spotting it? Well, so Scorpius is really very much in the shape of a hook. So if you've seen your scorpions in nature, you know they have this little hook on the end of their tail. Mm -hmm. So you want to start seeing a formation of stars in the east and see if you can line up something that's almost a little bit like a fish hook. Oh, okay. So, and it's quite distinctive, you say? Yes, quite a distinct pattern. Uh, it's also one that exists in various cultures around the world representing different objects. Oh, okay. Um, specifically, in our part of the world, over in New Zealand, uh, in Maori mythology, it's actually the hook used by the mariner Maui to haul a massive fish out of the ocean. And then this massive fish is said to have ultimately become the North Island of New Zealand. Wow, there you go. So the same pattern of stars. Is yes, same pattern of stars interpreted very differently in different parts of the world. Is this the pattern they show in, uh, is it Moana? Moana. Yeah, that one. Yes, you're into your Disney films. I am. I'm not. <laughs> I can't tell you any more than yes, it appears in that one. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, there you go. So I've seen Moana. I'm sure many people have seen Moana. But yeah, so that pattern of stars, if you don't know what you're looking for, just go and find it in Moana and then look for it in the sky. And that is A, the fish hook of Maui and also the scorpion that's chasing Orion. Absolutely. Wow, there you it go. It can be many things all at the same time. All right. Well, I know what I'll be looking at this evening. Uh, now, I did hear that earlier this month there was uh, a, a lunar eclipse. Uh, apparently it was quite late at night and it wasn't like a fully dark one or anything like that. So I personally didn't stay up to watch it. But um, I guess even though it's already passed, what is a lunar eclipse? A lunar eclipse, if you imagine when you go outside on a sunny day, you stick your hand out and you can see the shadow that you cast on the ground. Yeah. Well, this is happening at a massive level as far as the Earth is concerned. All the time, the Earth is obviously in front of the sun mm -hmm. and it's casting a shadow out behind it. And so a lunar eclipse is actually when the moon starts to move into the Earth's shadow. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yes. So for a brief period of time, as it does that, it goes into darkness. Oh, and that happened earlier this month? It did indeed. It's something you can actually observe once again if you want to stay up late. Right. Um, and... I suppose the big news, of course, was the total solar eclipse that we had in Exmouth last month. Yes, absolutely. Are they, was that a coincidence? Are these related? No, it's not a coincidence. You end up with eclipse seasons. It's all to do with the position of the Earth and the Moon in relation to the way they orbit around the Sun. Mm -hmm. So the Moon every so often crosses what we call the ecliptic, which is the plane of Earth's orbit around the Sun. Gotcha. And this happens roughly every six months, two times a year effectively. And we've just gone through one of those periods, and that's the perfect time for the moon to move in front of the sun during the daytime and into the Earth's shadow during the nighttime. Oh, I see. So as the as the moon goes on its well, roughly one-month orbit... Yes. Um, so you're saying that a couple of weeks ago it passed in front of the sun to give us the solar eclipse. Yep. And then two weeks later it's gone around and it's yep. passing the ecliptic... It's directly behind the Earth then. Right. Oh, and, and that's why we... So that's called an eclipse season, is it? 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so if you imagine a string of three celestial bodies, three giant spheres suspended in space. So when the solar eclipse happens, you have three in a line and the moon is between the Earth and the sun. Mm -hmm. And then when your lunar eclipse happens, you have three in a line, but it's the Earth that's in the middle. Oh, I see what you mean. All right, Damon, we've spoken about the planets in the night sky, the constellations, the lunar eclipse. Uh, I want to get down to the real reason that you're here, which is I heard there's some big news in the world of space. Just a little bit, Leon. We are talking about the biggest rocket ever launched, the most powerful rocket ever launched, the recent test flight of SpaceX Starship. The SpaceX Starship. It's been all over my Twitter feed. Uh, As it should be. Yeah. It's one of the most momentous occasions of the 21st century so far if you truly understand the gravity of this event. This is the vehicle that is ultimately meant to take human beings to an entire another planetary system mm -hmm. now that's all like nice and aspirational and i'm sure a lot of people are keen on that but for the vast majority of people they saw a rocket get off the ground and then explode several minutes later so how how are we to understand that and then take positives from that that this might one day be the spaceship that takes us to mars let's pick apart this launch what happened okay so first of all to give a little bit of context to everyone listening this rocket when we say it's the biggest that's ever been launched in human history mm. stands at about 120 meters tall that puts about 10 meters larger than the saturn 5 bigger than the moon rocket it's bigger than the moon rocket now this one is divided into two stages which is actually quite a bit less than most rockets of this size before usually three or more stages yeah i think the saturn 5 had four stages it depends how technical you want to get yeah. your definition of a stage yes i'm sure there's all rocket nerds out there who can debate that but for our purposes starship only two stages. two stages its top stage stands at about 50 meters tall and this is the vehicle that's meant to travel into planetary and Frankly, during this flight, this one didn't get much of a showing. Mm -hmm. The second part of the vehicle, the bottom stage, is called Super Heavy. It stands at about 70 metres tall, and at its base, it has 33 rocket engines. Now, those rocket engines all have to work together simultaneously to help move this craft. It can withstand losing a few of them, mm -hmm. but we'll get to that just a little bit later. Okay, good. So two-stage two-stage rocket with 33 engines. Now, I, I, I'm recalling some vague facts here that I believe the, the Falcon 9, which is SpaceX's other main rocket, its entire stack is 70 metres tall, and you're saying that the first stage of Starship is 70 metres, and then stick another 50 on top. Absolutely. The, the, scale, yeah, the scale of this machine is, is just monstrous. unbelievable. All right, so uh, the, the countdown happened. I was watching this. Uh, T-minus zero happened, the engines ignited with what has to be one of the most impressive rocket sounds I've ever heard. Yep, um, absolutely. And then it, it got off the ground, and, and, and then what, what's Well, happened? I think you, yeah, you're glazing over a few things there, Leon. Mm. It didn't just get off the ground. There was this long pause. You know, with space launches, for those of us that watch a lot, we're used to seeing motion within just one or two seconds mm. of, of T-minus zero, T-plus one, T-plus two. We can usually see motion. With this... SpaceX Starship launch, we really didn't see it start moving till about five or six seconds into the flight. Uh, it really sat on the pad. It really did sit on the pad. Whenever I watch these launches, SpaceX does their live stream from a studio that's actually based at their headquarters. So you have commentators who are based in front of a large audience, mainly made up of engineers who have worked on this vehicle. And I tend to pay attention to the noise they're making to give me some indication as to what's expected, what's not, and how well things are going. Oh, this is good. So what uh, hints did our 
Well, they were very, very quiet. <laughs> and you could hear just a certain amount of concern for the amount of time it was taking. Yeah, they okay. were nervous. So it wasn't supposed to take eight, ten seconds to get off the ground. It was not meant to be as slow as we saw. Right. Nevertheless, after a time, it did. But something very strange happened if you were watching closely because as the rocket started to move up, around the rocket you saw other things starting to move up as oh, well. I saw this too. I saw things like flying out of the Things flying plane. everywhere. And some of them looked absolutely massive. Mm -hmm. And that the way they were moving through the air, the sort of stream they left behind them indicated that they were pretty heavy. Mm. So what, what were they? Well, it turns out that they were actually exploded chunks of concrete. From, from the ground. From the ground, from the launch pad itself. One of the things about the Starship system, because it's meant to land on another planet, is ultimately it has to be designed to land in a situation where there hasn't been a properly developed launch pad below it. Right. Because it's probably expected to land on a plane that's undeveloped on some far-off place out in the cosmos. Yep. So it needs to be rugged and has to not expect a launch site of... Absolutely. So part of SpaceX's aim with this system was to have as not complicated a launch pad surface, that is the ground sitting directly below the rocket, as possible, so they could try to refine it to a system that would be able to do such a thing. Unfortunately, with 33 engines, and you're talking about the most powerful rocket stage ever launched, that is a lot of force going straight into the ground. And there were various opinions that they sought beforehand as to what effect that would have. Mm -hmm. And there were various theories in place as to what would happen. And it would appear that that amount of pressure, it didn't just break the concrete, it caused it to explode. And some of that came back up. Some of those chunks of concrete flew up half the length of the rocket or more. Mm. So they were traveling really fast. They were traveling really fast with a lot of force. Now, in the days since the launch, we've actually been able to see the launch pad and there is a massive hole. <laughs> it's dug a massive, <laughs> massive trench. It dug its own trench, basically. Uh, so, like, how, how large are we talking? A few metres deep? Uh, we're talking an entire bobcat deep, if not deeper. Right. So to so. clear out the pad, they've been driving bobcats down in there to shovel various amounts of sand and concrete and rebar and twisted metal and whatever else is down there. And if you watch the bobcat drive in, it goes down a little sand ramp and it disappears below the ground line. It is a very deep hole. And that was just dug by literally the exhaust from the engine. Just the exhaust from the engine. So I guess that makes sense. Like you say Starship's the biggest spacecraft ever um, launched. How, how heavy is it? Uh, so its launch mass is about 5,000 tonnes. 5,000 tonnes. So you know, basic Newton's physics. If you want to get 5,000 tons going up, you need to push 5,000 tons out the back. You need to push more than 5,000 tons out the of back. Of course, yeah. And so that's gone straight into the ground, into the concrete, yep. and just obliterated the launch site. Absolutely. Okay, I'm getting, like, vibes of, like, the chest burst of xenomorphs from Alien, that they just destroy their hosts as they burst to life. Uh, that That is probably a pretty apt description. I mean, obviously, the chest burster starts in the ground. Maybe <laughs> if we'd had Starship sitting in a giant, giant <laughs> launch silo, launch you know um, super villain style nevertheless it was sitting on top of the ground now we kind of got pretty deep into the launch pad and we will come back to that the flow and effects of that and it's not something i noticed at the time but obviously we've had a lot of time to go back and watch it's generally believed now that that concrete explosion some of that actually flew up into the engines of starship now there was a little image a graphic on the live stream that showed you which engines were operating and in a very short space of time after the lighting of the engines three engines all in one section appeared to stop operating 
Three all in one little area. Three all in one little area. So that's like a nice flag that maybe something collective has had uh, the same effect on all three of them? Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is not for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, we are still waiting official word on the exact cause of everything that happened. But even though Starship is designed to be able to absorb a few engines failing and still launch regardless, the problem with that situation is you had three engines in one spot. Now, if you imagine things need to be symmetrical, a rocket's sort of like trying to balance a pencil on your hand and push it up. Mm -hmm. You have to account for all the motion it's gonna undergo to keep it going straight up. Now, the way rockets do this is they actually swivel the direction of their engines. So if it starts to move one way, they can swivel the exhaust another way to counteract that motion. If you lose three engines in one spot, yeah, you're very asymmetric. You're going to end up with a lot of force on one side and not much on the other. So to account for that, you actually have to power down engines directly opposite on the other side. Ah. So they've lost three engines that aren't working, but some engines on the other side have to throttle down. So their overall amount of power that they can put out is reduced. Right. All right. And uh, when it comes to rocket launches, I know your margins for tolerance of thrust are so small that it turning off essentially four or five or even six engines now is going to be quite devastating to the launch. Very small indeed. You have certain areas, certain heights, certain altitudes, certain angles, certain velocities that you need to hit at the right time to ultimately end up in the right spot. Hmm. I remember when I was watching the launch and because uh, I've watched a lot of Falcon 9 launches and at about the two minute stage is when it's traveling probably about 5,000 kilometers an hour and stage separation occurs. And I remember thinking Starship's going way too slow. It was probably only about 2,000 k's an hour. Is that basically a consequence of this? Uh, We think so at this point. It just was, so if we follow the launch further, we get past the launch tower, these engines aren't there, but you know, it's going up. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest concern that everyone had before this launch was that it would ultimately either explode or go up a little bit and fall back down on the pad and destroy all the ground facilities. Yeah, I heard a lot of people predicting that would happen. And if that had happened, we'd be looking at a much larger time frame before any possible future launches because everything would have to be prepared. The moment it cleared the pad and kept going, and especially when it got past a point where it could no longer fall back down on the ground facilities, as far as many people were concerned, that was a success. That was a success. Right. I so this because I've heard, yeah, no one can really give a clear answer on was it a success or a failure, but basically anything past the launch pad and out over uh, away from the tower is a victory for SpaceX. Out over the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. Yep. So it kept going up and I'm going to be honest, I wasn't paying attention to the numbers on the screen. I was watching the vehicle like a hawk. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, it was looking It was looking relatively good from the sense that you could see every now and then you got some different burn patterns from the engines. So clearly they weren't working perfectly, but nevertheless, it still managed to maintain its flight through that. It didn't explode. It was staying on target. Things looked really good, but yes, it was not up to speed. And unfortunately, it meant that when it got to a certain point where at least during the predicted timeline of the flight, it would start separating. It wasn't at the altitude or the velocity required. Right. Now, when this happened, there's a lot of us who like to play very simplistic space video games, and there are many people who are sitting there watching, well, and especially after the fact, could you not just automatically separate the two stages? Light the second one regardless. Yes, it's not high enough. It's not going fast enough. It's uh, easy enough if you're a, a little green man. Yes, it's easy enough if you're a little Kerbal in Kerbal Space Program or things like that. Unfortunately, in the real world, things are a little bit more complicated again. We still don't know exactly the circumstances, but ultimately what happened is the rocket didn't stage. Yes. 
And eventually, as far as we could see, it didn't have the thrust or the control anymore to keep it on a trajectory that was stable. Mm-hmm. And the rocket started to tumble. Yes, so uh, that was basically when you know it's all over then. Yeah, at that point, it's off axis. Uh, it started to actually do flips, which uh, is very impressive for another reason. Because the, aer- the aerodynamic forces on that rocket, even much higher up where there's less air, the atmospheric pressure is lower, for a vehicle like that to be doing that, mm. the amount of stress that must be going through the system, it didn't buckle, it didn't collapse, it didn't disintegrate. I did count. A few, I was timing it as I was watching a replay, and it was spinning every every few seconds. Yeah, it did at least meters tall. three flips. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty incredible. So, yeah, now that you've put that into context, the fact that it didn't just hurl itself into pieces is pretty impressive. The sort of strength in that system, I mean, hopefully that bodes well for it in the long run. Yes. Uh, in the short term, obviously, these sorts of hiccups have to be worked through. Uh, ultimately, the end of the flight came from the flight termination system. Mm-hmm. Uh, a system is set up to destroy the rocket in the event that something goes wrong. Now, this is pretty common for all flights into space, including flights with human beings on board, Mm -hmm. because if you imagine a fully fueled rocket, especially one big like this, it's extremely unlikely that it will go off course into a populated area, but the chances of it happening are not zero. And so these systems are there to prevent that. Even something like the space shuttle, if it goes one way, it goes out over the ocean. If it goes one way, very quickly, it is over a populated area and it could do a lot of damage. So it's always something that is present on spacecraft. It's something you hope you don't have to use, but in this case, it was something that was used Mm -hmm. and that ultimately destroyed the vehicle albeit with about a 40 second delay, which is another thing that will have to be investigated because 40 seconds is enough time for if it got seriously off course to go do some major damage to a populated area. Yeah, right. So there's someone sitting there in the control room with their finger on the button, just waiting for the telemetry data to say something's gone wrong, and then they just press the button. It's a position known as the range safety officer. They have very strict guidelines and it's an important job that someone has to do. And they had to do it this time. Yep. Um, well, I guess here's hoping next time they don't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so suppose the launch had gone perfectly. What would have happened? So Starship, the upper stage, would have gone to space? So Starship, the upper stage, would have crossed the technical definition of space, so it would have gone above 100 kilometres. Mm-hmm. Now, it wouldn't have gone completely into what we call an orbit, uh, an orbit is effectively where you go up above the atmosphere and you travel a speed that allows you to constantly do laps and laps around the Earth. Yeah. It would have gone just shy of that, so it would have done a complete or almost complete circle around the Earth and just come in a little low, so it came back into the atmosphere and started falling back down into the Pacific Ocean, I believe, was the return flight. But that was the whole point of a test flight anyway, was just to prove that they could even get off the ground. Yeah, and that's something that often wasn't reported. Had this flight gone perfectly, the rocket the entire system would have been at the bottom of the ocean 90 minutes later. <laughs> so that's the silver lining. Uh, it was going to break up anyway. It just it got there a little faster than intended. And as it is now, I mean, the rocket is actually in water shallow enough that divers, should they feel so inclined, they can actually go visit, visit Starship at the bottom of the ocean. So if you're out there and you're a diver and you have the means to travel out there, by all means, let us know how you go. I think that's a great way to finish it. One day we'll be looking up to the sky to see Starship moving across across the background of space. But for now, we have to dive beneath the bottom of the ocean, yes. dive down to the bottom of the ocean. There is many a spacecraft at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. They're all uh, steps on the road to success. Yes, and every now and then someone who runs a massive internet business decides to go down to the bottom of the ocean <laughs> and retrieve some of those spacecraft and bring them back and put them in the museum. So maybe one day... 
I did ask NASA one day if they could give us uh, an engine from the space shuttle, and the guy scowled at me. True story. Why would he do that? That's that's just mean. Where? <laughs> yeah, I, I said we'd, we'd love one in Australia, and he laughed, and then he stopped laughing pretty quickly after that. He, he stopped laughing when he realised you were serious. Yeah, that's right. One day we'll get a space shuttle engine at SciTech, but. Uh, do you, do you think we might have better luck with a Starship engine? Because Probably, there's 33 yeah. of them per flight. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to put all of the other shuttle engines on SLS. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Please Look Up. Thank you for being here, Damon. Uh, that was a hell of a conversation. I certainly learned a lot. Starlink, if you're listening, please sponsor SciTech. <laughs> no, you probably have to edit that. <laughs> that's it for this episode of Please Look Up. We'll see you again next month where we'll be talking about the night sky of June. If you want to hear more interesting space news, check out the website particle.scitech.org.au for more information.